resident witch and i am a crystal your resident wino <laughs> uh, today we have another episode to do with hauntings uh, ghost stories Ooh. and for me <laughs> yeah i found this amazing amazing book at barnes and noble and it's california's haunted route 66 by brian clune and I thought this was an amazing book because I live in California and one of the, um, like Route 66 passes through one of the, the cities that I'm near, like really near. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what is considered haunted along this Route 66. So I've been learning quite a bit and I have three stories to share with you all today. And Crystal will also be sharing stories with you as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where are yours based in any specific location? I have like two short ones and two semi longer ones. Um, I don't know where the heck the first two are from. <laughs> <laughs> I think one might be Texas, but my favorite ones that I will end with, they're both from the same person and one happened in California. And one happened in Arkansas. Ooh. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder why I went with those. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. Um, this first destination that I'm going to tell you about along California's Route 60, 66 is Elmer's Bottle Tree Ranch. So just think about that name, Bottle Tree Ranch. And this is definitely a popular tourist attraction. You drive by it and you just can't help but like, whoa, that's so cool. Look at this beautiful work of art. Essentially, somebody made um, trees with bottles as leaves. I'll send a picture so um, Crystal can upload it to the Facebook page so you guys know what I'm talking about. Yes. But it is quite a beautiful um, work of art. I wonder where that is. Is that... Did I pass by that whenever I would go to work from Corona? Well, it's in, um, uh, like, in a small burg of, like, Oro Grande. Hmm. So, maybe. So, okay. So, um, Elmer's Bottle Tree Ranch is in a small burg of Oro Grande. So, let's get started. Of course, the name of our fellow of the story is Elmer Long. Oh, it's so, so cool. I just looked at the pictures. <laughs> okay, great. Wow. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? That's yeah. amazing. So Elmer Long, he was born in 1947, and he loved to collect things like a lot of people do. And he well, looks like he should <laughs> be from Arkansas. <laughs> um, you know, he might be. <laughs> Elmer Long... His father loved to collect bottles, and the bottles had to be glass. 
And it didn't matter what color or what size it was, as long as it was a glass bottle, he would want it. So there was just this guy collecting bottles. And um, Elmer and his father would go out every day and whenever they moved to California and they would go scavenging in like the Mojave Desert and they would looking they were looking for treasures, which would be those glass bottles, different shapes and different colors. She'll just picture this guy like he just has a ton of bottles. There's nothing done with these bottles, but his dad just wants to have them around. As Elmer grew up, he actually started to become a welder and learned all of the skills of the trade that went along with that. And that's important because that's part of what helped him to become the artist that he was when he made the um, bottled tree ranch. After his father died, he was kind of like, hmm, I guess what do I do now? You know, sort of thing like as you do whenever your parents die. He had all of his father's belongings and um, the house, the land, you know, everything. And, you know, he was like, hmm, maybe I'll just kind of make some art out of this because he did realize that he liked it to be creative. You know, he's a welder and he did feel like he was happiest whenever he was being creative. So um, he was like, "Mm, you know what? I think I'm going to take this imagery I read from a book. And he had read this book years earlier and it dealt with like superstitions and paganism and spiritualism and other type of uh, metaphysical things. And one of the things Elmer thought that was super interesting was, and again, please, please don't kill me on this pronunciation because I hear people pronounce it one way and people pronounce it the other. But um, he really thought was interesting about the old Appalachian or Appalachian, however some people want to say it. Yeah. (laughs) And Southern belief in what is called a bottle tree. So he's like, hmm, well, I think this is a perfect solution for all of these bottles that I have. So he started to build a bottle tree of his very own. He put up the first bottle tree in his front yard in the year 2000. So this is, you know, kind of recent considering, you know, um, now once the tree was up, he noticed that people would drive by and they would stop and they would take pictures. A lot of them would ask if it was okay to take a picture of his artwork. And he was like, oh, yeah, go ahead. And, you know, he was like, wow, I think people really like this. So he started to build more of these um, bottled trees and he would use a picture. Oh, oh, you (laughs) might you might be about to say what I was about to say. So go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say in this picture, it's so cool because some of these trees, he he makes the tree part out of other things. Like yes. it looks like in this picture, there's a bow and an old, old, I say old telephone. Some of you guys out there, I'm not talking about phones with cords or phones that you have to turn the dial. I mean, like old timey first phones you know Mm -hmm. and then there's like this big cat old cash register uh, just all kinds of really cool stuff that he used to make the trees yes that's yeah that's pretty much what i was gonna say that he would use all these different scraps and scrap metals and random bits and bobs to make his um bottle his bottle trees 
And he like once he retired, he was like, you know, what? I'm just going to be I'm just going to make my 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 forest full time. And <laughs> that's kind of like what he did. So now let's get back to that idea of like where he got the bottle tree idea from. Um, so remember how I said that he got it from a book that he read that had to do with, you know, metaphysical things, yes. spirits and that sort of thing. So this book of metaphysical and spiritual things that he had read years ago stated that, um, these bottled trees could contain spirits. Oh. And this idea was dated back to around the ninth century AD in the Congo region of Africa, um, bottle trees began to appear to help ward off evil spirits um Does it there's not them? yes okay i'm, I'm getting there <laughs> so the spirits are like lured by the um the colors of the glass bottles and they get sucked into the bottles and they become trapped until sunrise and, and whenever... or until somebody finds it and they rub it and they pop out and give no, you three no, wishes <laughs> no please don't rub the bottle trees <laughs> the trees <laughs> um but these spirits would be trapped in the bottles and then once the sun came out the rays and the newfound day is said to destroy them leaving oh. room for them to capture another evil spirit it. That is so um, cool. But it yeah. only traps evil spirits? Yeah, evil. Huh. Yeah. And so many scholars actually believe that the bottle tree is connected to the um like the evolution of like witches bottles, you know, witch bottles using as protective magic and such. Yeah. Which is, you know, there's obviously some stories that have to do with hearing spooky noises at night or seeing things or possibly um like a whoosh into a bottle of a spirit that just got captured. So like more than just the sound of the wind going yeah bottle tops <laughs> yeah <laughs> because definitely. that would be kind of that would be kind of cool too it's just like music kind of like wind yeah. chimes and that's honestly too that's what people say like the um it's sometimes really chilling to to be there when it's like windy and or Which when the sun is, is going almost down or... always windy out there <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh now i lost my spot sorry i blew you away <laughs> Okay, so a lot of people think that these trees not only protect them from these evil spirits, but they also believe that they'll bring good luck to them and prosperity into their lives and like sort of act like a good luck charm. So if we're keeping these legends in mind, you can see how a site that has so many of these bottle trees in place can help keep ghosts away, you know, or bad spirits away from the general populace, right? In general, this city of Oro Grande that this um, bottle tree ranch is located is supposedly very haunted. You know, it's kind of like, um, it, it, it reminds me of like a room purifier, but this is like a city purifier. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, kind of like how in California they have all those giant windmills for wind you know wind farms but yeah it's like a wind farm but like a spirit farm mm -hmm, for exactly. the city yeah and it's taking as much negative energy away as they can and 
dispelling it once the sun comes up. Um, but definitely something that people say is very, very spooky is that the sound of the wind that does pass over the mouth, they say sometimes it actually sounds like a trapped spirit crying out in torment. Because, I mean, we all know what that wind sounds like, right? When we blow over the top of a bottle. Yeah. But sometimes, I mean, it's been noted that, like, it the sound that is made is more chilling or not the right tone, not the right tone that you would expect to hear when wind blows over the opening. So it is really different. And the people who have claimed to hear it say that it's definitely like chilling and they get like, you know, simultaneously they're scared, but also relieved that these evil spirits are being captured and that they will be destroyed come morning. Oh, I just shoot, thought I of a really head. good horror horror book. Oh, you did? Yeah. And someone's going to steal my idea and write a story and they're going to make millions, but it's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> so, like, there's this, this um, spirit farmer, right, with his trees of glass and all these horrible evil spirits that have been tormenting everybody have entered the bottles in the middle of the night but then a storm comes and it's a bad storm with hail mm -hmm. giant baseball size hail and it breaks all the glass in the middle oh. of the night before <laughs> the evil spirits can be destroyed so oh, all no. of these bottles that are filled with evil spirits escape and wreak havoc on the world <laughs> <laughs> that that would be very dude i could see that as a movie yeah like, like a new ghostbusters movie <laughs> right my next story is about Calico Ghost Town. <laughs> I haven't heard of that either. Wait, you have not heard of Calico Ghost Town? No. Like you've never visited Calico Ghost Town when you lived in California? No. OMG. Guys, any listeners out there, if you know you live in Southern California, that's like one of the cheapest, easiest places to go take your kids to, you know, on a weekend. I mean, it's not a very big amusement park. And I have to say amusement park very loosely. Um, but pretty much uh, the dude who made Knott's Berry Farm, he bought Calico and re what the fuck was that? <laughs> what the fuck was that? I don't know, but <laughs> did you hear it? No, I have my headphones turned down really low. That was weird. I, I wonder if it'll come up on the microphone. Oh, I'm protected. Oh, oh, okay. So it might. I think it was our last recording. I was editing it. And in one part, there was like a background noise because, you know, you're in the your car. So mm -hmm. every now and then you hear a car go by or a plane yeah. or some something. And at one point, I, I said that a man was talking and you're like, what? No, it was just this. And I said, OK. But in the recording, it totally sounds like a man saying something. Hmm. Oh, you, you said it was a dog barking. It did hmm. not sound anything like the other dog barks interesting creepy you're gonna have to go back and listen we are protected so calico had its beginnings when a few men were looking for of course ore because we all know what made california popular we've heard about the gold rush right 
Calico had a great deal of silver, so there was a silver rush that happened at Calico, and the miners that found this, they went to um, the San Bernardino sheriff, whose name was John King, and told him about it, and he was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll fund your little endeavor here, and so the mine was started and it was successful and people started spreading the word and then more people came wanting to get in on that silver vein that was founded in calico calico had a ton of like makeshift shelters and main mining camps and all this stuff at the beginning and like now if you wanted to visit go visit calico ghost town like you would see the remnants of the old buildings that were built there like there's a tour of an actual mine that was used there's this old schoolhouse that's there these there's even they've even used original buildings that were built in calico and they you know um turned it into something else and since I'm on the website, just so you know, it's open daily, 9 to 5, but they are closed <laughs> on Christmas Day. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so a lot of people are starting to come to Calico, and, you know, one fancy entrepreneur thought was like hey i'm going to make a hotel and this hotel was like hey i am the finest lodging in calico and it was called the hyena house hotel but you know when people got there they um pretty much found that the hotel was like holes dug into the rocks and then it was covered <laughs> with like burlap sacks for privacy and you know they had like it's barrels and stuff like that the and only like lodging in calico <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's why it's the finest lodging in Calico, because it was the only lodging. Lucy Lane, she came to Calico as a young girl in 1844, and she spent nearly all of her childhood there. She did leave for a little bit to attend school, but then, you know, she came back um, when she got older, and she married somebody who was much, much older than her, and his name is John Lane. So these two, they became friends with like most of the townspeople and they offered people credit if they needed credit. If they needed help, they were like, yeah, I'll help you. No problem. So they were super involved in the community and they became these key figures in Calico. Why do I keep on losing my spot? It's because I keep on looking away because I'm like scared from that noise. <laughs> what does it sound like? I don't like, a, I don't know, like mm -hmm. a whoosh. All right, so like um, a chupacabra running by you really nope, fast. Nope, that's not what it sounded like. Not, not at all. Nope, no way. <laughs> um, <laughs> so after a while, um, Calico's success started diminishing, and by the 1940s, pretty much Calico was all but abandoned. Lucy was the only resident remaining in Calico after her husband died. Okay, so. Whenever Calico is just like completely at this point a ghost town with only, you know, our, our dear friend Lucy living there, this man, Walter Knott, steps in to save the day because he had grown to love Calico so many years earlier. Um, so Walter Knott, he was the nephew of John King, right? And John King was that sheriff who gave them the money to, you know, give birth to this desert town and not was, was working as a, as a carpenter in Calico in the early days of Calico. So he was there and he loved it. And he was so sad to see that his like one of his favorite towns growing up and working was just like falling apart. So 
he was like, you know what? I'm going to save some money and I'm going to buy this piece of land in this town and then restore it. So at this time, he was creating and working on his berry farm with Rudolph Boysen, and he created the popular Boysenberry. And having used the town as a model for his Calico Ghost Town exhibit at the, um, at Knott's Berry Farm, so he kind of made a, an exhibit at Knott's Berry Farm, and he took the inspiration from the Calico. Anyway, so. Once he got enough money, he was like, I am not going to let this fade away. And he was like, yep, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to fix it up. So he fixes it up and, you know, he turns it into, like like I said, a living history museum. And Lucy Lane, whenever it was um, restored, she worked there, essentially. She Or not worked there. She resided in the town and she became the greeter of the like all the guests that came in and she would tell them stories of how the town used to be in its heyday. La-di-da. I know I haven't gotten to the haunted bit yet, but I just wanted to give some cool background on here. Did she stay <laughs> in the best darn inn in Calico? No, she did not. She stayed in the best <laughs> darn house in Calico. Um, okay. So now let's get into the ghost. So today, those of you who have visited Calico, you know that it's a tourist town and there's lots of shops and foods and tours and it's really cool, right? A lot of history. And apparently some people think that this is actually one of the most haunted places in the country because every single building at Calico is haunted. Every single building that's there. So every building has its own ghosts, has its own stories. And I'm going to get into a few of those finally. <laughs> um, I know you're probably like, oh, when is the ghosty part? But I thought the history was kind of cool, especially with our, our friend Lucy just living there by herself. Until well, Mr. Knock came in and saved the day. But that's what they get for listening to a podcast with educators for hosts. That's true. <laughs> I mean, like, we got to keep it on point. But sometimes you're just like, oh, this is fascinating. And we're so used to researching and fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about this place called Lil's Saloon. That's in Calico. So this was actually a pharmacy and like a doctor's office back in its heyday. But obviously, you don't have a need for a pharmacy with this um, sort of amusement park. So they repurposed it to serve pizza and hot dogs and beer. I mean, because who like, like bring it down to the simples. You know what I mean? I mean, let's let's <laughs> give the people what they really need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this place will provide entertainment for the crowds that come and they'll do like mock battles between like a sheriff and, you know, bad guys and stuff like that with, you know, gun blinks. And Those stuff are like always that. fun. Yeah, they are fun. And the actors there, once they're done with their day, they mostly would like to hang out there at Lil's. There are times that the people would be working at Lil's and they're in the back and they're cleaning up and they're thinking, okay, I finally get to go home. But they're still here. Some ruckus going on in the saloon room. And they're like, oh, you know, it's probably the actors. They don't realize that we're closed for the night. So I'm going to go over and walk there. So as soon as the worker of the saloon comes back, the room is completely quiet. The second they step into the room, the noise is gone. And they were saying that like, oh my goodness, we had heard this like as if it were actual like five, five or six people out here. You know, and then it was loud until they stepped through the threshold. 
And yeah, and so like employees, they're like, um, there's just some people, some old ghosties who like to hang out at the saloon too. And it's not just like one employee who's saying that, it's like many employees who are like, yeah, well, our, our ghosty friends like to have a party sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and sometimes um, during the day, while the saloon is open, guests actually uh, feel that somebody is touching them or like has walked by them. Like, you know how when you walk behind somebody's chair and or even like move some things here and there. But there's even been like the workers have overheard customers saying, oh, what was that? You know, oh, did you just walk by me? Like, oh, that was weird. La da da, you know. Um, yeah. And I thought that was kind of neat. And there's also another place that serves food there. It's the Old Miners Cafe. And that's um, up near the hill where there's a schoolhouse. I know you haven't been there. I wish you would have because you know what I'm talking about. Well, if we ever can <laughs> go visit you, we could go. Yeah. Um, but this ghostie is a little bit more like, I don't know, mischievous because this, this one likes to throw things at the workers. <laughs> like they'll throw buns at the cook and they'll move things around the stock room and it's, it just seems like it's kind of playful you know and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and there's even like um spirits attached to the dang popcorn carts that are out in town <laughs> if i was um, an old ghost in the middle of the desert with nothing to do i would totally throw buns at people and pop their popcorn I mean, honestly. Oh, yeah. They also like to listen to the radio. So the um, the radio there will turn up so loud that you can't even hear like yourself talk or anything like that. And then the radio will turn off and then people will hear their names be be said at random times. And they're like, what? What? You know, and the workers like, damn it. It's just this ghost. It just he just is messing with us, <laughs> messing with us. Um, let's go to uh, the Calico House. One of the most disturbing things that happens at the Calico House restaurant um, comes happens when the restaurant is closed for the evening. So oftentimes the workers will see a mysterious shadow figure and it's crossing the street in front of the, the restaurant and it passes into like the lot on the opposite side. And they're like, it usually happens after dark. Yeah, but I'm going to skip to this little child ghosty who likes to haunt the sweet shop that's there in town. <laughs> of yeah, course. Of course. Um, apparently, a lot of customers and workers see him darting in and out of the candy room and in and out of the back room. And they don't know who this kid is, but um, they, this kid is seen around so much that the workers just know about him. All the workers like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that that's Johnny. They gave him the name Johnny. They don't really know his name, but apparently, um, the the ghost responds to jo the name Johnny. If you yeah, were so a ghost in Calico, which building would you haunt? Hmm. Oh, I maybe the Mystery Shack because that's already <sighs> crazy when you're in there. What the hell's the Mystery Shack? <laughs> the Mystery Shack is um a. A shack i guess or like a little tour that has a bunch of like optical illusions and like physical illusions the floors are slanted and brooms stand up and like oh. you can walk sideways yeah it's that reminds just... me of it's like i think it's called grandpa's mansion or something like that at silver dollar city in branson mm -hmm. it's like that the floors are slanted <clears throat> the mirrors are crazy the bed yeah. is it Oh, man, if you ever come here, we're going to Silver Dollar City. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like you're transported back in time, but in a really <laughs> badass amusement park. Okay, nice, nice. Definitely. 
Okay, so the last place I'm going to talk about at Calico is Maggie Mine, and that's one of the mines that was at Calico, or that is still at Calico, still at Calico, and it's completely safe to enter, and it was definitely one of the original mines that people would actually go and work there. But inside of this mine, there's what is known as Tommy Knockers. So Tommy Knockers, like I don't Stephen King Tommy Knockers. Uh, is that a Stephen King thing? It's yeah. He wrote a book called Tommy Knockers. Oh really? Yes. I didn't know that. But this apparently these Tommy these Tommy Knockers are fairy creatures, like you know brownies or leprechauns, and they um, they will either help the workers or they'll hinder them depending on if they like you or not. And apparently they were even blamed for some deaths that happened in the Calico Mines. Whenever you're visiting Maggie's Mine, there's places that you're not allowed to go. And people have heard tons of, like, sounds of drilling machines. They've heard hammers and picks hitting the stones. Um, and they're like, wait a second. I, I mean, I know that part of this is, um, like, the ambient music or, like, the, the sound effects that they put on. However, the people who hear this are like, no, no, no. That is not coming from a speaker. It's coming from this area that's, like, walled off and that we're not supposed to go into. And they were, there's even um, this little scene set up where there's a miner um, sleeping in a cot and people have heard snoring coming from the cot. And hmm. there's no, you know, speaker there to, like, imitate snoring, I guess. And so they're like, um, this uh, mannequin is actually snoring and that's kind of creepy, <laughs> like, sort of thing. <laughs> um so the strangest tale of this place being haunted, though, comes from the exit area. So like whenever you leave the mine, there's like a bunch of stairs that you have to go up um, and walk up. So apparently, and this is weird, people have been seeing what looks like zombies dressed like miners. And they uh... walk down the staircase like they're on their way to work. Many people obviously are scared to see this, but apparently these um, zombie mine workers have never like deviated from their path and they went straight to work and they don't seem to notice the, you know, the living or the people they're scaring. So <laughs> apparently if you are lucky enough, you can see this like these zombie miners just going down into the mine to start their work day. <laughs> I would honestly be super terrified and I don't want to see that. So I'm putting it out there. When I visit Calico, I don't want to see it. Just I'm putting let me it out enjoy there. my time. If no. I'm with you, <laughs> I want to see it. I'll close my eyes. <laughs> I will open my eyes um, and yeah. tell you everything I'm seeing. <laughs> No. <laughs> I, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> you be going no. alone. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> All right. Um, I thought that was my last story on Calico, but apparently I just, you know... I had I, now this is the last one one okay. more or the building that has the most ghostly activity is the R&D fossils and minerals this store has like gems and stones and clothes and magnets and all kinds of stuff tourist so, stuff yeah touristy stuff so this actually um may all bleh, this is all blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> this actually may be the home of the town's founder 
you know, the, the sheriff, John King, because okay. people say that they see him walking around the store and they see they say that he follows shoppers around and he hates Elvis Presley music. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. So apparently whenever Elvis Presley is played, um, he'll turn off the radio or he will like change the um, the station to country because he's like, uh, get this out of my house <laughs> um so people see him sitting in the office chair that man that gyrates his hips yeah <laughs> how dare he <laughs> your your country accent <laughs> oh gosh oh my goodness oh. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, sometimes he people see him sitting in the office chair, and it looks like he's just like watching over the store, keeping an eye on things, and apparently he's kind of become protective of the workers. So there is um, a little story of the manager's son. Okay, so I'm going to read it here. Uh, the manager's son, who had never been in the store before, he was helping one day, and he made a joke, and this joke was an aggressive comment about his mom. And after that aggressive comment, they both heard the sound of heavy, heavy boots, like heading towards her son, the kid. Oh. Um, yeah. And the manager had to be like, no, John, John, he's my son, and it's he's joking. <laughs> and as soon as um, she spoke out, the boots stopped. They, they heard them retreat back to the office door. Oh, They damn. stopped, like, running at them. I wonder yeah. what he was going to do. Probably going to slap him, like, don't you dare talk to your mama that way. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, like, he was just like, how dare you? You don't talk to your your mom. You know, at that point, obviously, it's a different time. But Yeah, she's like, John, you're in a like, different please. time, John. Do you hear my dogs barking? Yeah. Sorry. For those of you that hear the little doggy in the background, sorry, she is recording in a car because she is in between homes at the moment. My but, new house is being built. <laughs> yes. And, but in about a month, she will be in her new house. So Yes, just a little Yay. over a month. I'm so excited. All right. I'm anyway. excited for you. <laughs> My last story isn't nearly as long as a Calico story. Um, but it's at a place I'm sure you've heard of, which is the Santa Monica Pier. <gasps> yes. Okay. <laughs> Good. So quick history about the Santa Monica Pier. It was um, built in the early 1900s and it was a place to um, like dock ships and stuff. Obviously, it's a pier, but it became popular for fishing and tourists. They're like, oh, I want to go fish here because apparently you get a lot of really cool fishing. They built a ballroom at the end of the pier um, and it was apparently super impressive and elegant. And there are live orchestras and there's a huge entertainment hub course. And in 1924, there was this this giant carousel that was built called Loof Hippodrome. <laughs> what? Yeah, apparently that's the name of the carousel. And that carousel still operates today. Okay. And it's apparently a very fa favorite amusement attraction there on the Santa Monica Pier. Oh, what's that noise? I think there's a car. What the fuck is that? Do you hear that? That's a an rumbling? airplane? Yeah. Please don't be an invasion. I'm oh, not wearing pants. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
my gosh. Okay, so <laughs> here's the deal. If your car starts flying upwards to the mothership, <laughs> keep your phone connected to your microphone and record as much as you can, okay? <laughs> deal? Uh, do for the research, okay. Deal. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so a lot of the strange tales that happen at the Santa Monica Pier are of um, shadow figures wandering around the buildings and the rides and the rooftops. So one of the most popular occasions for this shadow figure to hang out is the Louvre Hippodrome itself, the carousel. So during the 1960s, the office space that was on the second floor of the Hippodrome was converted into apartments. So, um, as folks do, they would throw parties late like, into the night and have friends and, you know, they would clean up, go home in the wee mornings, wee hours. Blah, blah, blah. They would go home in the wee hours of the morning. And the walk of shame. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the host would be like, I hear footsteps coming down from the hallway. Uh, maybe my uh, guests are lost or maybe they forgot something. So I'll go out and help them. And then whenever they open the door, they're like, uh -huh, um, there's nobody here. <laughs> but they were they could still hear the footsteps. They were still hearing them, even though they're looking out into the hallway, trying to figure out where they're coming from. And they're just getting closer. And they would <laughs> and guests would call their hosts after, you know, the gathering. It's like, hey, you know, I think someone was watching me as I was walking down the hall and we were hearing footsteps and there's someone following us out. And um, uh, yeah, what is that about? <laughs> and then, of course, residents are like, uh, yeah, apparently it's haunted because <laughs> um, that same ghosty figure slash shadow figure would love the calliope music that comes from the carousel so oh. they would often um turn on the carousel and then the residents would quickly run downstairs to see if somebody had like snuck in and turned on the carousel and they never found anybody there they just heard the music and <laughs> You know, saw the so carousel. So when you said they would turn on the carousel, you mean the ghosts turned it yes. on? Yes. Because oh. the residents would like run down as quickly as they can to see if somebody like went into the control room and they didn't find anybody. <laughs> and mm -hmm. apparently this music was so, so frequent, like the music that came from the, the carousel, that the people living there... They're like, um, you know what? We think that these spirits are just coming to have a good time. And so the music obviously is still heard to this day. So um, one of the spirits that has been seen at the Hippodrome, the carousel, so often that it's like an urban legend among the folks who know the pier, um, they see a shadowy figure and he's walking along the rooftop of the Hippodrome, the carousel. And this figure is said to be all in black and it appears kind of wispy, like as if they were made of smoke. This shadowy figure likes to um, hang out and ride the rides. They see him on um, the carousel just riding the rides after after hours. And sometimes he's even seen riding the carousel among the visitors. What? Yeah. No, 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 no. no. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he I wonder also... if the visitors see it. Yeah. That like some of these accounts are from the visitors and some from the um uh workers. So they just look over and see this shadow figure riding a ride with them? 
I mean, I don't think it's quite like that, but they like, you know, the corner of your eye. So is the carousel the one that just goes in circles on the ground or is it the one that goes in circles in the air? Um, It's like it goes on the ground. You know what I'm talking about? What's the one that goes at the Ferris wheel? Is that the one yeah. that goes up high in the air? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the carousel. Okay. Because I was thinking, I was like, Miranda, if you were in there with the ghost <laughs> and you were go- way up at the top and you see the shadow figure sitting by you, what you going to do, girl? <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a Ferris wheel. <laughs> you gonna jump? <laughs> you gonna tough it out? What do you do? <laughs> I guess tough it out. Or like I don't I can't see it, it can't see me. Just look away. <laughs> Close your eyes and you're like, you can't see me. And he's like, Yes I can. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no honey, please don't play jokes on me now. <laughs> Just pretend uh, that's you know, your husband's in there. Oh man! Yeah. Oh, this ghost also likes to ride the sea dragon ride, which is like one of those like the ships that swings oh, back and mm-hmm. forth. So the next notable ghost here is actually none other than Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe is said to haunt a few p- places that made her happy in her life or that were important in her life. So she's haunted the home where she died, the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel where she lived for a long time and the Santa Monica Pier. When Marilyn Monroe was alive, she would come to the pier in disguise. So maybe she can relive the life of the woman that she used to be, Mm. you know, Norma Jean Baker. She loved amusement parks. And since she grew up nearby, she would often come to the pier when she was younger and she would ride the carousel. But after she became a big name movie star, Norma Jean would just come to the pier and sit and contemplation and you know she would ride the carousel and hope that nobody would recognize her obviously it was said that she just wanted to escape being Marilyn Monroe for a little bit um but it is said that if you are at the carousel late at night and if you watch the mirrors as they spin around they say that you can sometimes capture a quick glimpse of her sitting on one of her favorite benches and Ooh, yeah, they say that my video camera ready. Yeah. Um, they were saying that like once you turn, you know, to get an unobstructed view of the mirror, you know, she disappears. Um, but once you glance back through the car- carousel mirrors, they say that you can see her again. Hmm. And yeah, many of the reports are from um, employees and they hear footsteps following them as they make their way to their shot, like to their cars and you know, they see the the girl from the corner of their eyes, from the mirrors, you know, all that thing, all those things. And so I thought that was interesting that the Santa Monica Pier was apparently haunted. And yeah. it was haunted by a famous movie star. That is all I have. And I know that I talked for like an hour tonight. <laughs> all right. So I'm looking forward to hear what you have for us tonight. I'm going to start off with the least scary, and then I'm going to scare the crap out of you. Okay. I don't know if I'm ready. (laughs) The first one I got from Esquire.com, five real life horror stories, and it's called The Haunted Doll. Mm. Miranda, what Mm. do you think about when you think of haunted dolls old what? style china dolls maybe oh china dolls hmm i was thinking like old victorian okay yeah i can yeah. see that 
I I would not be thinking of Raggedy Ann, which is the Annabelle, Annabelle. Annabelle doll. <laughs> Which actually kind of makes this story a little scarier when you think about it, because if Raggedy Ann could be one of the, if not the most haunted dolls in the world, well, here here it is. So one doll you would not expect to be haunted is a Disney Frozen Elsa doll. That's true. <laughs> and one such doll was given as a Christmas gift in Houston in 2013. When the button on its necklace was pushed, the doll repeated lines from the popular movie Frozen and sang Let It Go. Emily, the mother of the children with the doll, said that for two years, the doll had spoke in English. But in 2015, so two years after having it, it began to randomly switch between English and Spanish. And it was without any obvious prompting or mechanism that would change the language setting. So for over six years, this family possessed the doll and had never replaced its batteries. For over six years, they never replaced this thing's batteries and it was still randomly talking on its own. Yeah, that's creepy. According to the mother, the doll would start talking and singing unexpectedly, even when the switch was turned off. In 2019, in December of 2019, the family made the decision to dispose of the eerie doll. However, they were surprised to find it inside a living room bench a few weeks later. So after they had gotten rid of it, it reappeared and it was inside one of their benches in their living room. According to the mother, the children denied putting it there and she trusted their word as they would not have gone through the trash, the outside trash. At the time, Elsa stopped singing the English version of the song Let It Go and began only speaking in Spanish. The family then wrapped the doll in trash bags two trash bags and disposed of it in the outside trash they put it in their the bottom of their trash can it was collected and then shortly after they left on a trip but when they returned elsa was waiting for them in their backyard it was back creepy the family decided to mail the Elsa doll to a family friend in Minnesota <clears throat> who affixed it to the front of their bumper of their truck. So he Okay, but why? <laughs> why would they attach it to their bumper? <laughs> because you know, truckers like to put stuff I I don't know why they do it, but you see that happening, you know. That's true. And um, what better way to get rid of a haunted doll? Maybe it was just really bored and it very much enjoys traveling. Yeah, you know, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But that's the end of that one. (laughs) (laughs) The next story I got from thelineup.com. 19 seriously scary ghost stories. And it was submitted by Rianne Fisher. It's called The Boy and the Man. It says... I grew up in an older home in Florida. I have two brothers, and since I was the only girl, I got to have my own room on the second floor, a room that I would end up fearing at night. We lived in this house until we moved when I was 17. I don't remember anything strange happening until I was around 15 or 16. 
just the normal mom asking us kids where we put a glass or a book, small things that none of us touched. In hindsight, that was probably either the man or the boy. I came home late one night from a football game at my high school. It was around 10 or 11. My younger brother had a friend over and they liked to play pranks on me. When I poked my head in to say hello, I made sure and asked that they wouldn't mess with me that night since I had to get up early for a soccer game. They both agreed and wished me good night. The way my room was set up at the time was there was the actual main part of the room that had my TV dresser, a couch, and coffee table that I would use for my friends staying over when I was reading. My bed was in a little alcove that used to be a small porch so that my bed was flush with the windows that looked to the backyard. That is a really big room. Dang. Yeah, honestly. I put my bag on the couch and walked over to the bed to go to sleep. It was the middle of the night when someone knocking on the wooden bed frame woke me. I thought it was my brother and his friend who were just going to be annoying and run out of the room giggling. I flipped over to yell at them, but didn't see my brother. There was a boy about the age of 12 with sandy brown hair that hung to his chin, wearing a purple hoodie, just smiling at me. Like a kid who got (laughs) caught doing something he shouldn't have been. And I could see right through him to the rest of the room. I watched as he slowly faded away completely terrified until he was gone. I slept on the couch that night with a TV going in the background, and I moved my bed to the center of the room after that. The next morning, I had almost talked myself out of it, thinking it was a dream or had really been the boys. I asked them the next morning if they had knocked on my bed, but both were sound asleep. My mom had overheard me and said she had seen the boy, too. Since that night, we started to notice more strange things. But I'm positive it wasn't the boy. There was a man. I mean, man that I could feel at night in my room. We would hear footsteps walking around upstairs when all of us were in the kitchen. Books would fly from the shelves and glasses would be pulled down and break. Our dogs would stand at the bottom of the stairs and just growl. One of the most eerie things was the smell of cigarette smoke in the downstairs hallway. No one in our family smoked inside, ever. One of the last things that happened before we moved was my brother waking up to see a tall, dark figure standing over me while I was sleeping. The entire family at that point had seen or experienced something. The boy was just a kid who wanted to be known. The man was something else. None of us were sad to drive away from that house for the last time. Yeah. (laughs) I would be wanting to drive away, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's real creepy. And it's Mm -hmm. almost as if she's talking about this boy as if he's not this creepy thing. Mm -hmm. But this dude, this boy is knocking on your bed and staring at you while you're sleeping. That's creepy. Yeah. Like, why can't he be staring at you while you're eating your cereal or something? (laughs) Yeah, because that would make it so much better. (laughs) It, It definitely would. I'd be like, uh, yeah, you want a bite? Whereas I'm like, hey, I'm sleeping. Hey, I'm sleeping here. 
<laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> the last two stories I'll share were recently told to me over a campfire. We were sitting in a cave. It was pouring rain. And you the were rain, sitting in a cave when you were camping. We were not camping. It was a girls' weekend getaway, like a for bridesmaids, oh, okay. like a bridesmaids thing. Mm-hmm. And um, we were staying in a cabin, and under the cabin, in the side of this, I don't know if we were on a mountain, <laughs> I don't know, but there was a cave. <laughs> um, but these stories really got to me. So we were sitting in a cave. It was pouring rain. And the rain rushed over the mouth of the cave like a waterfall. And it was pitch black. The only light was from the fire. And I sat on a log by the fire as Dana told me her stories. The first story is about what Dana experienced as an adult with her family in Greenbrier, Arkansas. It will give you chills. (laughs) The second is from when she was growing up in California. It will give you nightmares. Both stories are true. In 2011, Dana, her husband, and their two-year-old son, Tommy, of course, I'm changing all of these names, moved into an old log cabin in Greenbrier, Arkansas, in the middle of nowhere at the very end of a long road called Terra Valley Loop. Or so Dana thinks it was called that. She can't exactly remember because it was 2011. (laughs) (laughs) The house was a log cabin with a barn out front. It had a circle driveway. When they explored the property, they found on the very back of the property, in a wooded area, there was an old chicken coop. When they were near that chicken coop, they got chills all over and had to leave the area. The home was just the right size for their growing family. Dana was pregnant. There was their room for the new baby, and Tommy had his own room. The kitchen, living room, and dining room were all together. In the dining area, right against their dining table, there were a set of French doors. You walk through the kitchen, and there's a laundry room. They had lived there a month or so. They still had boxes throughout the house. Dana started hearing Tommy playing and talking with someone in his room. She asked him who he was talking to, and he said, My friend, Fred. Dana asked what Fred looked like. Tommy said, He's really big like Daddy, and he wears overalls. His face, arms, and tummy are covered in boo-boos. In the mornings when Tommy ate his breakfast, Tommy said Fred would sit at the table with him. Fred sat at the table right in front of the French doors. They would talk back and forth. Tommy said Fred really liked the laundry room. He liked to go in and out of the back door that was in the laundry room. Tommy said Fred slept in the chicken coop on the back of the property. Here's where Dana's best friend comes into the picture. June is Dana's best friend. June said you could feel when Fred was around. When she went to the house, she would address Fred, saying things like, Hey Fred, you seem friendly. You do you, just don't mess with me. She'd go to the bathroom and... And the feeling was gone, like he didn't follow her in there. 
When Dana was going to take a shower, she'd tell Fred to stay out of the bathroom while she showered, and she said it nicely, and she could feel his presence leave. June and Dana were both pregnant at this time, so June visited a lot. They had a lot in common and even more to talk about. During these visits, the girls would chat. Tommy would be nearby, talking to Fred and letting out these big belly laughs, like he was talking to the funniest person on earth. The house had one entryway inside it with swinging saloon doors. The doors didn't hang loose. You really had to push them to get them to open. Random times, these doors would swing wide open as if someone had walked through them. Another time, Dana and June had cooked dinner. Afterwards, they put away the food and cleaned up the kitchen. June looked over and saw that the oven door was open. She asked Dana why she had opened the oven. Dana said she hadn't. They ignored it and started talking again. Then the oven door closed on its own. Another time, Dana was telling June that she had found pictures in a box from when they were in high school. They went to Tommy's room where the boxes were stacked in the closet. They went through every box and couldn't find the pictures. They restacked the heavy boxes and closed the closet doors. Later in the night, they went back into Tommy's room to get him. They found more than what they bargained for. There were the boxes and right on top were the pictures. The exact high school photos they had been looking for. And you know a two-year-old boy is not going to do that. Yeah, and it's a bit out of, out of reach, just a little yes. bit. Yes, so Fred was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Dana and her family eventually moved out of the house. It had nothing to do with Fred. They always felt they had good interactions with him. They always acknowledged him and were polite when they did. Tommy would even request Band-Aids for Fred's boo-boos. Dana and June would give him band-aids and say, here you go, Fred, these are for you. They moved out because of problems with the house, you know, the usual issues that come up. Mm -hmm. So that was around 2011. Fast forward about 12 years to just a couple months ago. Dana was at work. Her coworkers started talking about ghost stories. Dana joined the conversation and started to tell them about Fred. She mentioned the house, what it looked like, and mentioned the name of the street. The girl asked if it was a log house at the very back of the loop with a circle driveway and a barn out front. Dana said yes. Her coworker said that was where her dad used to live. Apparently, her dad had moved in and lived there about three years or so after Dana had moved out. She said there was some entity there that harassed her little brother and her stepmom. She couldn't give many details since she didn't live there herself. She only knew that there was an entity there that harassed her family. The entity terrified them. He would poke the little boy. The co-worker said her little brother was terrified of the back door in the laundry room and of the French doors in the dining room. He refused to go near them. When Dana and her family lived there, Fred was Tommy's best friend. It was completely different when the co-worker's family lived there. The harassment was so bad, it eventually led to her stepmother being institutionalized. Oh my gosh. 
and I was not able to get all of the details of what happened that led to that because she herself had not lived there. Mm -hmm. And she only knew of, you know, the major parts of the story. But Dana was in shock because they had, they only had friendly experiences with Fred and never once felt threatened. Mm -hmm. Dana had even asked the owner if she knew anyone that had lived there named Fred or if there had been any tragedies on the property. The owner asked her family, which were the ones that built the place, but nobody knew of anyone or anything that happened there. I wonder if the ghost's name wasn't Fred at all. If Maybe Tom. So. Huh? So what would, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go. <laughs> wasn't Fred at all, but <laughs> I'm just so enthralled. I'm like, Maybe Tommy said, hi, my name is Tommy. And the ghost said, hi, I'm dead. Oh. Tommy was two, so maybe he heard Fred. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just where my mind went. Mm -hmm. So that was the first story that gives you chills. Mm -hmm. Now, let's go back in time to when Dana was growing up in California. And let me give you some nightmares. When Dana was growing up in California, she was in the foster system. The last foster home that she was placed in, she was given a bedroom to share with a girl named Annie. Again, I'm changing these names. Dana had previously met Annie because they had gone to summer camp together. They had the same social worker, so they ended up at the same summer camp. Dana said that at camp... Annie was really cool. She was a horseback rider, a cool, normal girl. However, when she was placed in the same bedroom as her in this foster home, the other children warned Dana that Annie wasn't so normal. They said she screams in the middle of the night. Now, when Dana was telling me this, I was thinking that this was actually normal. The poor girl's probably having night terrors. That's mm -hmm. normal. <laughs> As Dana continued the story, I found that wasn't the case at all. Dana said on the first night, she was awoken by Annie screaming bloody murder. Dana tried to get Annie to stop. She wouldn't. So Dana punched her. Oh. <laughs> you gotta remember, she was a kid. She grew up in the foster system. She's a tough girl. <laughs> mm -hmm. Dana said, quote, the second night, I poured water on her because she punched me back the first night. <laughs> <laughs> when it came to Annie screaming at night, everyone thought what I thought. They were night terrors. They thought it was due to her horrific experience in a past foster home. The foster dad would tie Annie to a chair in the middle oh. of their horse's round pin and hold a gun pointing it at her. Jesus, Jesus Christ. He did all kinds of crazy shit like that to her. Mm -hmm. So by the time Dana had become roommates with Annie at this new foster home, Dana found that Annie was not the same fun, cool girl she used to know. So it's nighttime again, and Dana is again woken up by Annie. Only... Annie isn't screaming this time. Annie is still asleep, and she is speaking in tongues. 
This started happening more. The Foster family recorded this, and they sent it off to universities and language experts. No one could figure out the language. It was not a known language. The strange behavior increased. Annie began going into trances while she was awake. She would go into a trance, and with her eyes closed, she would write in a notebook. She wasn't scribbling with her eyes closed. She wrote in pictures. She wrote in runes. She would also speak, and when she did, her voice had changed. It was deep and creepy sounding. The foster kids talked about what was going on. The general consensus was that Annie was wanting attention. She was acting out in strange ways to get it. Other times, when she would go into trances, her eye color would change. No way. From her normal light green to a very dark brown. Her hair would change from blonde to brown. No freaking way. Dana was not the only one to see this. The entire family saw it. And you got to remember, these are all people from different backgrounds. These are, Mm -hmm. this is not a family that all grew up together. They all have their own backgrounds, their own Mm -hmm. thoughts, their own ways of thinking. And they are all seeing and thinking the same thing when it comes to this. One night, Annie was asleep on the living room floor. She was on her stomach, arms crossed with her head lying on her arms. She was face down. Dana and her foster sisters thought it would be funny to put a cross on Annie. The foster sisters took a cross and began walking toward Annie. Slowly, quietly, careful not to wake her. They very lightly placed the cross onto Annie's back. The moment the cross was on her back, Annie jumped up, screaming. She pulled her shirt up, and on her back were scratches and a cross-shaped burn. Another time, Dana, Annie, and their foster sisters were in Dana and Annie's room. Dana was sitting on her bed. Annie was sitting on her bed. Annie's bed was the trundle bed that rolled out from under. The girls were sitting in the room and talking. Annie randomly jumped up, ran out of the room, and into the bathroom. She slammed the door. Because of Annie's previous attempts to end her life, the girls thought this was what she was doing. They screamed for her to unlock the door and come out. Annie slammed open the door, ran back into the bedroom. She jumped and landed on the bed. She landed in a perfect (laughs) pose on her stomach, elbows on the bed, and her face propped up on her hands. Dana tried to start to talk to Annie. Annie cut her off and with a deep, growling voice told Dana to get out. Dana and the family would sometimes see Annie acting strange. There was a pool with a privacy fence. Annie would be hunched down, chasing something along the fence and speaking in tongues. The foster family wanted to pray over Annie. They placed a Bible on Annie's lap and began to pray. Annie screamed the entire time, begging them to take the Bible off of her. One night, Annie decided to make another attempt to end her life. 
Dana recognized the signs. When Annie took off down the stairs, Dana went after her. Annie ran into the kitchen and grabbed a knife. Before she was able to injure herself, Dana ran into the kitchen and grabbed Annie from behind. Dana hooked her arms through Annie's. She held Annie's arms behind her back while another sister wrestled the knife away from Annie. Once they had Annie clear from the knife, Annie ran past them. They followed her as she ran up the stairs toward the balcony. Just as Annie was making her way over the balcony, Dana grabbed her legs and pulled her down. Dana sat on her until others came to help. The police were called. The police gave Annie the choice of either going to the hospital with her foster family or being taken there in the police car. Annie chose to have her family take her. Annie is locked in the hospital for mental health. I refuse to believe this is not a movie. <laughs> right? This is a totally freaking true story. And it gets crazier. And you'll know when... Well, it's coming up right now. The point of the story when I had to pick my legs up and and just whine. <laughs> <laughs> the next night, Annie is in the hospital and the rest of the family is at home. Dana is in her room, the room she shared with Annie. Dana tries to push Annie's trundle bed back under hers, but it won't budge. Dana gives up and sits on her bed. Her foster sisters are in the backyard, swimming in the pool. Dana is reading her book, listening to her sisters <clears throat> laugh and splash around. Dana suddenly feels an intense chill come over her. She looks up from her book. On the trundle bed, there's Annie, sitting cross-legged and staring at Dana. Dana is stunned in shock and fear. At that moment, Dana hears her sister screaming and water splashing. Dana threw her book and ran down the stairs towards her sisters. As Dana runs to the back door, the girls are running inside. Dana yells, oh my god, I just saw Annie. The girls in complete terror say, we just saw her in the pool. She was swimming towards us. The fuck? There's more of them? Yeah. There's multiple? Or, yeah. More strange activity started happening. After this, the family began seeing a large black shadow entity following family members around the house. Every now and then, Annie would appear as she did before. And this makes me think of a mimic, which is terrifying. There was another entity of some sort that Dana saw. He was about three feet tall, but he was proportioned to look like your average Joe. He was green and glowed. The first time Dana ever saw him, she <clears throat> saw him run from a foster sibling's bedroom across the catwalk and into her foster parent's bedroom. Mm. Dana and her sisters <laughs> grabbed baseball bats and got ready to go <coughs> check out check it out and see what it was. The foster parents had an older daughter, about 23 years old, and she asked what they were doing. They told her. She rolled her eyes and blew it off. She went up the stairs and quickly came running back down, saying, what the fuck was that? <laughs> Dana saw the little green man many more times, but she found him to be friendly. He wasn't scary and he didn't <clears throat> give her any bad vibes. 
I wonder if he was like the protective entity in the house, you know, a little protective leprechaun. (laughs) (laughs) Years later, once Dana was an adult with her family, she took her husband and her nine month old son at the time Mm -hmm. to visit her foster family for Christmas. The foster parents began telling her husband about all the strange occurrences in the house. They started to mention the little green man. Dana was shocked. She said, I had no idea you knew about him. You saw him? And they said, yes, not only have they seen him, but they saw him before Dana even left the house. They said that the little green man never left and that they see him walk through their bedroom every night. Mm. (laughs) Why? Yeah. And they didn't think he was bad at all. However, they did share something else that happened that Dana never knew about. When Dana had grown up and left the home, one of the younger sisters, Holly, took over Dana's room. One night, the household was awoken by Holly screaming. They all ran into the bedroom and found Holly being pulled by something. Holly was holding on for dear life to the top of the bed because something was pulling her down the bed. Her feet were raised in the air and she was being dragged. They had to have a tug of war with this thing. So they had one side of her and this this thing had the other side of her and the whole family is trying to rip her away from this thing. And that's how they got her away. Another time, another sister had come home to find the shadow entity coming towards her. She felt it was being hostile and she began to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. It started backing away from her and left her. They had priests come and bless the home with holy water. Paranormal investigators come to check stuff out and all that jazz. Nothing worked. The shadow entity never left. It wasn't long after that that they moved out of the house. Whatever was in that house caused a lot of trauma to the family. Annie was in the institution for many years, and the entire family had experiences that cannot be forgotten. All right, so that's that's it. That's it. What a great show tonight. I hope you guys were thoroughly creeped out, and I hope you enjoyed her creepy stories and enjoyed my haunted histories <laughs> history lessons <laughs> <laughs> um, and as always if you have anything that you want to share with us um, please email it to us at witchinandwinin at gmail.com that's w-i-t-c-h-n a-n-d w-i-n-e-n at gmail.com and don't forget to also visit our Facebook where you can find photos or videos or whatever else goes along with our episodes. <clears throat> and you can share stuff yourself, you know, but really email us your stories because good gosh, we would love to share them. And above all, um, if you liked what you heard tonight, um, please consider giving us a like, a subscribe, maybe a comment, an email, a, a Facebook follow, you know. Rate, review. The whole thing. Rate, review, comment. Did I say comment? All right. Yeah. I don't know. Send us <laughs> a happy comment. face emoji. <laughs> if I know. <laughs> all right, guys. Have a good night. And have sweet dreams. <laughs> Thank you.
that was scary.